Hey there, Vernacular Faithful. Redcoat here. And Cientir joins him. And uh, today, I'm going to be interviewing Cientir about uh, his experiences with early id FPSs, uh, first-person shooters, for those who don't know the term, and um, just what that's done for his uh, game design proclivities. Yeah, so just to quickly fill people in on some of my backstory, my first gaming experiences were with the uh, id software FPSs. I remember sitting on my dad's lap playing Wolfenstein 3D and Doom. Uh, he would move around, navigate. I would usually control shooting the space bar uh, for opening doors and stuff and picking which gun we were using. Somehow this worked out. I'm not quite sure how these days. But uh, for a lot of what I'm probably going to talk about today are likely going to be Doom and Quake, as well as the Ravensoft-developed id software-published Hexen and Heretic. All right, so I guess starting out, what was it that you did you take away from just like all of these first person shooters? Like, what was it that uh, that you really liked about them? So it's interesting thinking back to some of my earlier memories. It was really encountering areas, like encountering spaces. What really stands out to me actually is uh, Hexen and and exploring that world. Hmm. But there are a couple of things that felt like they were really important to the exploration. First of all, the areas were interesting to explore. Like, they were designed to be playgrounds where you're trying to be given excuses to kind of go through this world and uh, and experience what it had to offer. They also had useful things to pick up, which was kind of nice, but for a lot of it, what kind of stands out in my mind are, like, different aesthetic places. Okay. So, you played a lot of the earlier, or rather, you were involved in the play of, and probably played, the earlier FPSs. How does that compare to, like, current FPSs? Do you play any of them these days? I don't tend to. Actually, this is a good spot for me to mention something that has been bothering me deeply on occasion. Uh, a lot of modern FPSs have a lot of head bob in the camera. Mm. I I don't know uh, specifically if these older ones did or how much they did. But my memory is that they didn't, although when I've tried playing Doom recently, there was, and I don't know if that's an engine modification with some of the newer variants on the Doom engine, but the sort of camera head bob stuff can cause me to get really motion sick. So I really appreciate it if game developers could give me an option to turn that off. Mm. There have been some modern ones that I have played some. Uh, Lichdom Battle Mage is probably one of the more recent ones, but I don't tend to play a lot of FPSs these days. Huh. So, I guess kind of leaning into that, so I mean, obviously the first thing is the head bob, but do you think there's anything else that kind of pushes you away from them currently, or...? So, I think there's a couple of things in particular, just trying to think through it a little bit. A lot of them are more focused on the competitive shooter aspect, which I was never really drawn to. Hmm. I was more interested in sort of the world exploration, yeah. uh, and so sort of the world building. Like, the, you were you were more of a single-player uh, shooter guy. Yeah, yeah. For multi- I mean, I did enjoy GoldenEye multiplayer um, mm-hmm. on the... Uh, on the uh, N64. Yeah, the yeah. N64. Right. But that was a local multiplayer experience as, as well, which makes it a little bit different. For other sorts of multiplayer experiences, like, in general, I kind of prefer local to some extent over, over yeah. internet anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily tend to play a whole lot of competitively focused games. I've certainly gotten into that aspect. Uh, for example, I enjoyed in Dark Souls doing some of the doing fight clubs type stuff. Yeah, but, but in general, it's more of a solo play kind of thing. But, yeah. Okay. So when looking back at the earlier FPSs, you know, Doom, Quake, and Heretic, mm-hmm. what were some of the impacts they left on your your thoughts towards design? So, there's a couple of significant things that stand out about them. Actually, this is just kind of a a random order. 
But I remember liking to be able to use cheat codes with them, which mm-hmm. is actually a very nice feature to allow you to kind of access the world in the way that you wanted to. Keep in mind, I was playing these when I was pretty young, and I usually wasn't really good enough to do well at actually playing them. Yeah. So things like invulnerability cheat codes were really useful for allowing me to be able to just sort of explore the world and have fun with the game in a mm. low-pressure sense, Okay. Uh, which is something that I enjoyed. Other things that stand out are, for example, the movement speeds tended to be very high in these games. I don't know if this is accurate, but I've heard that the Doom Marine runs at 60 miles per hour. I think that would probably be a pretty good estimation, honestly. Yeah, like, he's super, super fast, which meant that you could have kind of these big sprawling levels with uh, lots of little areas to go through, plenty of room to move around in to, like, dodge projectiles, Hmm. Uh, but also that the movement speed meant that it didn't, like, drag on. Like, this is something that can be a problem in games, is uh, movement, and I have a lot of thoughts on that to get into probably at a a future time, but... Other things that stood out are sort of the amount of coloration. Like, Hexen and Heretic in particular, I think of how saturated those games would get, Mm -hmm. which meant that desaturated areas stood out as a specific aesthetic choice for that zone, rather than being the norm. (laughs) Um, And I just remember, like, brilliant blues and, like, strong colors Mm -hmm. uh, being all over those games. They're probably working with a pretty limited color palette, Yeah, but that gave a certain... Uh, strong visual aesthetic that I really like. And so that's left certain areas as being especially memorable to me. For example, there is this sort of desaturated, foggy swamp in Hexen that always stands out as, like, swampy area with these dead trees and this mist and, and desaturated colors that really stands out. But there's, in contrast, in Heretic, there's sort of this mosaic bright blue sort of area that also really stands out. Mm. And, like, for the bright colors and stuff, they didn't feel, like, cartoony or goofy. They felt like serious experiences, but they were colorful ones, and that's something that stands out as well. Yeah. Um, and then a final thing that, that really stands out is that the worlds were designed to be fun to explore. They're designed to be fun play spaces, and they weren't really trying to be specific areas. Like, they would ostensibly be a thing. Like, Doom would name its level, like, Hangar. And it's like, is this really a Hangar? Really? No. But... It had sort of, you know, a general, like, here's some technology-ish things or whatever. And it tried to kind of, like, a little bit of a facade of it, but not really. And so you weren't concerned with, like, is this logical? Yeah, it wasn't shackled to realism, basically. No. It was it was more like, this is a game, you're playing the game, you just want to make a space where you can have fun. Yeah. That's actually brings me to one question. Have you actually tried the, the most recent Doom? I'm actually curious about that one. Um, I have not personally played it. I have watched a Let's Play of, of it. Mm. Uh, for, for context, this is the Doom that, uh, what, 2017? Yeah, because there's another one coming out soon. Yeah, yeah. There's, they've announced a sequel to it. I certainly liked some of the narrative elements that they rolled with with it. I really like the visual aesthetic style that they've chosen with that's like just on the realistic edge of cartoony. Yeah. I think having stylized graphics is a really important thing to try to do these days. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, hyper-realism has its place, and, you know, it's good for things where you've got actors and stuff. Yeah, but the thing is, that's a, a, an aesthetic style, and it makes everything feel really samey. Yeah. When everything's using that same style. And, like, you can see some of that, for some reason my brain's going to, like, Renaissance painters, where different painters were emphasizing different things, right? Yeah. And where you've got, like, the deep lighting contrasts that, um, I'm going to butcher this name, like, Caravaggio? Bye. Something like that. Caravaggio. But, but there's a deep lighting contrast that was a particular fondness for him versus 
uh, another different sort of style that maybe didn't have that sort of emphasis. And then you can get some of the Impressionist painters where they're just like different styles and they're interpreting the idea differently. Mm -hmm. And realism is like there's something about that that's useful, but it shouldn't be the end goal all the time. And I appreciate that the, the newer Doom games aren't trying to push realism quite so hard. Yeah, it's like the thought that came to my mind when you were describing it was like if G.I. Joe became a 3D thing, it's mm-hmm. probably, well, if G.I. Joe also involved demons, obviously, but <laughs> um, G.I. Joe, Demon Hunters, make it. Make it. <laughs> but anyway. It'd be more Doom than the Doom movie. Yeah. Slash rant. <laughs> Shots fired. So with that said, when looking at the difference between, you know, id first-person shooters, because I feel like it's kind of a thing when they got back into the game, they started kind of making their style of games again. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like they started with Fury, which was definitely more of an arcade style well, thing. Um, they oh, was started, that with them? No, no, no. Uh, if you're talking about Fury 3, that was 95 by Terminal Reality and Microsoft Studios. Oh, wait, no, Rage. That was, was it? Oh, no. yeah, you're yeah. thinking of... Yeah. Yeah, Rage. That was the thing. That was... I didn't pay much attention to it. Yeah, um... My it impression was, is not many people did. Yeah, not many people paid attention to it. I mean, really, the main thing that they did with it was they made a new graphics engine that was like the bee's knees. Right. That's and, always been kind of what it's been known for to some extent. Yeah, they always go like, and this is what you can do with graphics now. Because Carmack's ridiculous, amongst yes. other things. But the other thing was the gameplay very much emphasized a more arcadey sense of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, they're gonna. There's another rage coming out soon. Yeah, that looks even more arcadey. Um, which I mean, I'm all about that. Yeah, like there is a a sense to it because I don't know if this happened specifically like with Halo, but the sort of the introduction of the the weapon limit that you can carry and stuff like that, where yeah. it tries to tie it to a more realistic feel. And to some extent, there's a certain amount of uh, reasonableness. Like, Goldeneye allows you to have 50 weapons with you at once. You can shoot tank shells out of your forehead if you have all weapons mode on. And that can make switching through your weapons on a console very, very tedious. Whereas mm-hmm. with uh, the mouse and keyboard, you have the more... Um, you have hotkeys. Yeah, yeah, you have more buttons that you can map switching to weapons to. And so there is a certain level of freedom with, like, no, no, you can move unrealistically fast. You can carry an unrealistic number of weapons simultaneously, and uh, and all of that sort of stuff, which I think has has merit. Yeah, it's it's putting gameplay. I mean, what it makes me think of is Demon Souls, Dark Souls, with the item encumbrance and how many additional items you're carrying with you. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, yeah, it's more realistic that you can't carry nine hundred pounds of armor on you uh, that you can quickly swap through in, in combat. But the more you push realism, the more you take away from certain other aspects. And while I think that there could be something interesting with going, like, super crazy realistic on, say, an RPG or something, where you're almost going, like, above Sims' level of fanaticism in terms mm-hmm. of realism, I don't know that it's a fun game to play. Yeah, well, I think a part of it is it's, like, it's gotta be, if you're gonna do that, the fun has to be derived out of the logistics management. Yeah. But actually, on the on the note of weapons, weapon selection, because I think... I don't remember this fully clearly, but I know one of the one of the trends I've been seeing in the industry, at least for things where you have multiple weapons, is you um, using the kind of the stick 
as a dog. Oh, yeah, the weapon wheel. Yeah, it's a good solution that is more... I mean, they could have done it in Halo. Yeah, they could have done it in Halo, I think. Because in Halo, they were there was a different thing that they were doing. And I mean, uh, Halo really did change a lot of stuff about how first-person shooters were played. It was called Combat Evolved for a reason. Yeah. It was an evolution! A revolution! Ha ha ha! But yeah, jumping back to some of those early FPSs too, I just, probably the thing that stands out strongest to me isn't necessarily the core shooter gameplay. Yeah. It's the exploring environments and the aesthetics. Okay. And because you can explore environments quickly, like, I'm going to get back to that again and again, like, the movement speed is really, really important. And and what it is is it's not just how fast characters move. It's the ratio of movement speed to world size, Mm -hmm. where you can explore the world quickly and you can get around quickly. And you can achieve that with a slower character in a smaller space or a faster character in a bigger space, right? There's You can do it either way. Yeah. And the real point of it is, and this goes back to the, the first podcast of the season where I was talking about relaxed obstacles. Space, distance that you have to traverse is an obstacle. Like, you have to overcome that distance mm-hmm. to be able to achieve your objective. But it's relaxed because it doesn't add tension. And the problem that happens is if you have too much of that, where there's nothing engaging, you can also get really boring. Yeah. And this is a problem that can happen in Guild Wars 1, for example, where you kill a bunch of enemies, and then maybe you die on a mob, and then you respawn at a resurrection shrine at five-minute jog away, and it's like, okay, now what am I going to do for the next five minutes while I'm making my way back to where I just died? And it's just like, this is really boring. And that sort of thing is... There are ways to kind of address it, and, like, just going fast is one way to address it, like, allowing the player just move super quickly. I think of Saints Row 4, where you get superpowers, and one of your powers is super speed, and, like, that was a lot of fun, mm-hmm. and you're able to traverse really quickly. Other solutions that people have tried have been things like cars, but it's like, if you're going to make the player traverse a big distance, you need to make that traversal interesting, yeah, or quick. And those early id Software FPSs usually did a really good job of making it quick. Yeah, on the interesting point, although this is a slight aside, is uh, Spider-Man 2 was actually one of the ones that I think of when it's a traversal, making traversal mm. interesting, because mm-hmm. it's just, there's, there's something intrinsically fun about swinging, and just Insomniac really nailed it when just making it so that when the player is going somewhere, they are playing the game. They're not specifically just being there and getting to the next instance of play. Sure, sure. And uh, there have been other games, like uh, I think of the, the Batman Arkham yeah, yeah. Arkham games, where your movement options and how you're employing that really make the traversal interesting. Yeah. Or like uh, the, the Middle Earth games, where you can teleport to enemies. Yeah, yeah. Can also make that more interesting, where your process of moving... And th- this goes back to sort of the active participation in the movement process. You're not just holding a direction. You're actively participating in the movement. Yeah. Uh, and something like stamina management, like in Dark Souls, where you have a run button, where holding down the button consumes stamina and then it wears out. That's another way of getting you actively engaged in managing something while you're moving. Mm-hmm. So it helps mitigate some of those... Um, some of those moments of yeah. just of dullness. Like, yeah, because you're being engaged. Like, look at Ocarina of Time, for example, where you're basically just holding a direction and... Rolling technically moves you faster, but it feels really clunky. Yeah. And then, like, players have found that if you walk backwards, you move, like, super fast. Yeah. So then everybody in speedruns is walking backwards all the time. Yeah. Versus something like Wind Waker, where the roll is better. Yeah. Um, and flows better, where you can, like, move more quickly because of that. Players are always going to, if you provide them anything that feels like it makes the movement faster, players are going to use it. Yeah. And if you are, like, the fastest option you have is just running forward, that becomes really, really boring. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's basically my talk on movement, but... Yeah. But yeah, so the other thing then is sort of aesthetic places. Yeah. So, for example, Quake, which we haven't touched on a whole lot, but Quake yeah. blends science fiction and fantasy yeah. in kind of almost Lovecraftian horrors as well. Mm-hmm. Kind of an interesting blend. Yeah. And they did a lot to make different areas feel different mm-hmm. in that game. Uh, but even more so, I think, back to Hexen. Hexen is probably the one that, to me, has the most influence. Yeah. Where you have, like, the ice cave and the poison swamp. Mm-hmm. And, like the Badlands area with the spikes that pop out of the ground. And they did a lot to make differentiated aesthetic areas that have kind of lasted with me and kind of imprinted on me. So as a game designer, I'm often finding myself wanting to make areas that can call back to some of that. But also as a game player, I'm excited by games that kind of call towards some of those. So a good example, actually, is in Dark Souls 2, mm-hmm. where you have the Huntsman's Cops. Yeah. Some of the early scenes of that reminded me some of that uh, forced, swampy, forested area that I was mentioning in Hexen earlier. Yeah. Where it's kind of foggy and desaturated and stuff. It didn't quite capture that as much as I would have liked. And then there's also the bit of the forest in Dark Souls 2 that is, like, super foggy. Mm-hmm. That area also was reminiscent of it. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm kind of attached to these areas because of the intrinsic resonance yeah. of the uh, the aesthetic appeal that I have from Hexen. And what those areas then, like, I wish that there had been more done. I mean, this is the case with a lot of the areas in Dark Souls 2 where I wish more had been done with them. But Yeah. In general, you wanted them to have a stronger aesthetic identity, like a stronger color identity, perhaps. Um, No, well, for those specific areas, what I actually wanted was to have them more mechanically developed. More mechanically developed. Like, the, I mean, I almost want to call it, lazy is not the right word, but it's kind of like a lack of depth and creativity, Mm -hmm. which isn't the same thing as laziness, to be clear. Like, in, in that, that foggy area where you can find Vengarl's head mm-hmm. um, and, and whatnot, and the, the sun ring or whatever it is that explodes when you take damage sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you, you remember that area? Yeah, barely, but... Yeah. So, it's kind of like in the intersection between an area that's kind of this really cool, but extremely linear, almost hallway-like area that leads up to it. And then it's this super foggy area, and all of the enemies there are just straight up invisible. Or they look oh, kind yeah. of like, like player phantoms almost. Now I remember that scene. Yeah, that, that was... a that was, yeah, I, I hated it was, that. It was that butts zone. Yeah, that was that was all sorts of butts. But the aesthetic of the idea is really cool. And if they had implemented the enemies there in a more compelling or interesting fashion, it could have been a really neat little microcosm. Yeah. But just the first idea of oh, it's an area where you can't see very well. I guess we'll make all the enemies just straight up invisible. It's just like that's a first pass creative, and yeah. it's not digging deeper into what you could do with the zone, and that disappoints me. Mm-hmm. And it's like the potential. Like I would have liked to see the potential of the aesthetic explored more. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of like this small little area, and it's a super annoying because the enemies are invisible and you can't lock onto them, so you can't engage them in combat very mm-hmm. well. And it's just like, this had potential, and it's kind of feels squandered. Yeah. And it's sad because it has a nostalgic link back to an aesthetic that really appeals to me, which is kind of the spooky dying woods in, in fog. Like yeah. Like desaturated spooky dying woods in fog. Uh, it's a common aesthetic that shows up in a lot of in a lot of different places. Like I remember Eshabone in um Jet Force Gemini mm. had that similar well, a similar kind of deal. Uh and I think to the Bayou Boogie um, well, or at least I think that's the name of the song that plays. Oh. Um, but in Donkey Kong Country 2, um, there's a there's a specific kind of swampy area that's all kind of run down and stuff. Mm. It's an aesthetic that gets played to a lot. But um, this uh, the idea of not only playing to it visually, but making sure that there's a mechanical... There's something mechanical about it that is interesting, but not annoying. 
But yeah, actually coming back to the main subject, of course, yeah. this is the, uh, the FBSs. So one of the big things that I'm taking away from this is that one of the main influencers for you, which is, I think, unique, actually, when compared to other players of mm -hmm. these games, is it was more about world design and the kind of the aesthetics of all of the different worlds and how you traversed through them Yeah, that really stuck with you from these games. Yeah, I would say that in general, I'm much more of a... This is a weird way of trying to phrase this, but feelings guy in a certain sort of way where it's more of the aura or the sense of the place mm -hmm. and kind of like the overall gestalt impression it leaves on me. Um, and that sort of thing is what I resonate with. And Hexen had a lot of things that really set that up. Like going back to that, that swamp just briefly, like it's foggy, desaturated, and there's a, as you move through, there's like a castle that looms out of it that's also the audioscape. I'm not going to try to verbally replicate it because I'm going to suck at it, but there's kind of like these weird animal noises that kind of play. Mm -hmm. um, and just sort of that whole feel of it yeah. really kind of encapsulates my mind. So it's like this forgotten castle in the swamp. Yeah. In this, like, long forgotten swamp where everything's, like, faded and, like... Everything's faded and dying or dead. Yeah. And then there's, like, another area where it's, like, this great cathedral hall and there's this area with pots underneath that I just really specifically remember. And it's interesting because it really... Uh, I got um, a nostalgia hit relating back to that area mm -hmm. from, in Dark Souls 3, the uh, the Karthus area, yeah. where there's, you go around, there's some of these pots, like, areas just full of pots for no freaking reason. Yeah. And you can find, like, some rings back there and stuff, and it's like, that area, for me, had a um, had an aesthetic a callback. callback to that area. Like, I don't think the From Software developers were trying to... Trying to do that, but... Yeah, but it connected to me. And there's also things like, how the mage felt, or um, how the the warrior felt, or how the cleric character felt in in Hexen. Yeah. For example, uh, another thing actually that I think is also worth calling out that I was thinking of earlier and recalled now is that in Doom specifically, and, and a lot of these games actually, a lot of the enemies have very slow moving projectiles that you can dodge. Yeah. And so there's that element as well, where hit scan is a particular type of enemy. Yeah. And just sort of the way that that I mean, this is taking complete tension from the other things, but the way that that sort of movement allows you to engage with the game in a, in a very reactive sort of sense, yeah, where the enemy attacks are not trying to behave in a realistic way, they're trying to behave in a way that works well for gameplay, yeah, uh, and that is something else that I can appreciate. Yeah, it's a, it's again that deshackling from reality. Where, yeah, like a gun doesn't have to just instantly put the bullet into a person like it normally does. It, you can make it so that it's more of a game because it's a game. Yeah. So, um, yeah, where this fireball kind of slowly traverses the air. I mean, slow is relative, but where you have plenty of time to dodge out of the way if you're any sort of distance from it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of the thing that I think of with virtual on. Which, oh, that's another topic. That's for another time. Yeah, um, that is. Yeah, so I feel like I've asked most of the questions that I want to <laughs> ask you on this one, but do you have uh, any, like, encapsulating thoughts? Like, thinking about this from, from what I've pulled from this is the main thing that you, that you carry with you from these early game FPSs, and it's been stated before, you carry with you this sense of aesthetics and this sense of feel. Uh, in the design of the game. So, like, the feel yeah. of playing a particular character, the feel of playing with any particular weapon, and the feel of any particular zone, and the ideas that it conveys through that. Mm -hmm. And along with that, the idea of the game being a game first. Yeah. And not necessarily letting reality get in the... What reality is get in the way of what the game wants to be. Yeah, sort of the strength of the cohesive whole. 
Yeah. That's it for me on this one, so I'm gonna say, um... I'm pretty satisfied. Yeah, you're, you're satisfied? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I'm satisfied, too. Satisfaction. <laughs> guaranteed? I don't uh, know about that. No, well, okay, maybe not guaranteed, but I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe all of our audience members will be satisfied, and there won't be a single thumbs down on, I can't finish that sentence. <laughs> well, I mean, there might not be a thumbs down if it's on a surface that doesn't have thumbs down. Oh. It could be an arrow down instead. It's a hack! It's a <laughs> hack! <laughs> All right, well, we're going to cut it off here. So, uh, Santir, if you want to start the sign-off. Yeah, this is Santir, signing off. And this is Redcoat, signing off. Play the games you want to play, boyos.